Good morning. We are here today to discuss Parshios, Atharimos, and Kedoshin. Unfortunately, our hostess, Frida Greenbaum, is not able to lead us off today, so you're stuck with me. Um, very wonderful to be with everyone. We very much appreciate everyone's sponsorships and participation. I would ask that anyone who is able to invite other people to the class to please do so, uh, as the summer months are now upon us, uh, people tend to drift away a little bit for various reasons. I'm happy to report that, uh, not you Rhoda, I know, uh, I'm happy to report that in our class in person in Yeshiva, we actually have a few new participants. We're very happy that they could join. So there's about five regulars now. And if anybody would like to come join us in the Yeshiva from time to time, especially as traffic lightens as these summer months continue, it will be a pleasure to have you. Today, the title for the class for Parshas Acharimos, the title for today is the soul, S-O-U-L, of the matter. So we will talk about soul and spirituality today. This month, which is the month of the year, is graciously sponsored by the Slomiansky family in loving memory of Daniel ben Arya Yaakov Halevi Zichrona Levracha. We pray with the family that his neshama should have an aliyah, and for those of us who have been on this class since the beginning, you should know that Mrs. Slomiansky was our very first sponsor of the week and of the month because uh, she really was very interested in the Torah continuing. And we have great hakaras atov to her and her family, not only for sponsorship, but for participation and for the way that they share the Torah with their family and friends. So as we mentioned, the Neshama of Daniel ben Ariyahu Halevi should have an aliyah, and our learning should be in the memory of that for sure. This week's class is also sponsored by Sarah Slomiansky in honor of Frida Greenbaum and Tammy Atias in appreciation of their tremendous dedication and hard work. Um, I'm sure that's in life in general for everything that they do with their families, etc. but it's also in particular for how they a tremendous effort into our class uh, on a weekly basis. Mrs. Reimbaum does off, deals with uh, finding sponsorships, and Mrs. Atias deals with postings and making sure that I'm up to date and ready to go for the next class. And we very much appreciate all of that effort and work, and they should have a lot of blessing in all the work of their hands. This week's class is also sponsored by Louise Bauer for the merit of the complete healing of her beloved daughter, Leah Basliba, that's actually a carryover from being the sponsorship from the uh, month of Nisan because we only had a few classes in Nisan due to Pesach. And lastly, today's class is also dedicated to the merit of Rufuish Lema for Chaya Tova Gittel Bas Rachel Ruchama, who um, had a very difficult uh, child birthing experience and needs Rufuish Lema, as well as to, for Tzivia Rachel Bas Fruma. So, as I mentioned, we are going to talk about spirituality today. Now, it's very interesting that there are lots of people in the world that do not subscribe to a God concept. So much so that there are even books written to this subject, as I'll mention in a moment. And so for those people that do not subscribe to a God concept, numerous things and realities are basically inexplicable. Here's a brief listing of the things that you simply cannot explain without the concept of God. Existence, that's basically everything, and how it came into being. Number two, 
the incredible ecosystem that provides for life on planet Earth, but nowhere else in the known universe. There's nowhere that supports life that we know of, anywhere. It just seems to be such an incredible coincidence that this is the way we live and experience reality. Number three, how could we possibly explain, again, without a, con a God concept, the gargantuan difference between humans and all other life forms? And the fact, which is number four, that only living beings can produce living beings. It's only possible if you start with a living being to get to another living being. Nobody can just make a living being from nothing or from inanimate beings or items. And lastly, number five, which is really interesting, the human instinct that there is something more than the physical universe and the desire to connect to it. That's a human instinct. Because even people that don't subscribe to the God concept think that there's something, as I'll see in a moment, that's a really incredible thing. And this is a concept that has become increasingly popular in modern times. And that is the notion of spirituality without God. There's even a book with that as its title. It's called God Without God. And it's authored by a man by the name of Michael Hampson. Feel free to look it up. A term that is emerging to describe this concept and does not yet exist in the English dictionaries is called, and I don't really know how to pronounce this word, but it seems that it's called itzisma, itzisma, which is a Dutch word that basically means something-ism. Something-ism, there's something. The whole idea that you have to say that there is something, but don't dare call it God, is strange. So what is that instinct in the human being that says that there is something? Does anybody think that there's an instinct in the animals, you know, that they're saying there is something? Truth is we hold that animals do know that there is a God, but that's a different discussion for another time. So this term, itzisma, is an unspecified belief in an undetermined transcendental reality. And as I mentioned, it's a Dutch term for a range of beliefs held by people who on the one hand, inwardly suspect or indeed believe that there must be something undefined beyond the mundane, but they refuse to subscribe to it as a God concept. Now, some related terms in English are agnostic theism, like an agnostic atheist or eclecticism, deism, or just simply spiritual, but not religious. So essentially the concept of itzisma is that something exists. Now, obviously Judaism completely agrees with the idea that something exists. On the other hand, it completely rejects the, the idea that it is not God. In Judaism, we know that there is spirituality, but we completely reject the notion of spirituality without God. And indeed Judaism holds that the only spirituality for human beings is connection to God and to God limits. So for example, when a human being acts with behaviors that are built on characteristics that are godly, we call that godliness. Now, one of the key words in the Torah that deals with spirituality is the word nefesh. Typically we translate the word nefesh to mean soul. And for today's discussion, we're gonna be seeking a relatable understanding of the word nefesh, which is soul, 
beyond something as simple as, well, it's, you know, the spiritual part of you. What do we really mean when we talk about the soul of a person? Now, in fact, in Parshios Aferimos Kedoshim, this term nefesh comes up many times. And if we count it, which I did today, I believe it's over 15 times that the word nefesh is mentioned in these two parashiyos. The Torah also in this parasha gives us, uh, specifically Aharimos, gives us tremendous insight into the concept of nefesh by explicitly stating that the nefesh is almost synonymous with, anybody want to guess? Blood. The nefesh is basically synonymous with blood. B-L-O-O-D. The stuff that we all have coursing through our veins. And the question is, what does that really mean? What is the idea of this synonymous connection between blood and soul? And in fact, the Torah tells us that it's for this reason that we Jews are not allowed to eat the blood of an animal. And we're going to deal with that more in detail in our answer section to today's questions. Now, the first part of the parsha, which is Parsha Zacharemos, actually deals with the intricate services of the Kohen Gadol and on Yom Kippur. So what are the services? What are the offerings? What are the processes? Everything from getting dressed and undressed with the special garments and the different animals and the different confessions and the sending away of the sa'ir, the goat for Azazel, right? This is all part of what the Torah describes with the Yom Kippur service. But here's a very interesting observation. The Torah does not mention the idea that we're talking about the Yom Kippur services until sentence number 29. That means what the Torah really does is say, look, Hashem spoke to Moshe after the deaths of Nadav and Abihu to tell Aharon to do the, um, to do the services, basically in order to approach the holy. So this is what it says, sentence three, with this, Aharon shall approach the holy. It doesn't say anything about the month of Tishrei, which is the seventh month. It doesn't say anything about atonement or the fact that it is the, the day of atonement. It just says with this, Aharon shall approach the holy, and it goes through 25 sentences of the very specific details of the service of Yom Kippur, without ever mentioning that it is Yom Kippur. And finally, in sentence 29, the Torah decides to say, and all of this should be for you a statute forever in the seventh month on the 10th day, where you will afflict your souls, there's that word again, and don't do any labor, and you'll get atonement and purification on this day. So this very interesting observation is that instead of the Torah saying, let me tell you now about the Yom Kippur services, the Torah says, with this, Aharon shall approach the holy. It says everything about the services. And at the very end, almost like an afterthought, and by the way, this will be on the 10th day of the seventh month, what we call Tishrei. So why does the Torah set it up that way? Seemingly, it would have been a lot more logical for the Torah to say, this is Yom Kippur, 10th day of Tishrei, and these are the services that are done. And with this, you should gain atonement and purification. That's question number one. Question number two, and I also consider this to be a really stunning observation, is that the Torah says that on Yom Kippur, you shall afflict your souls. I just read that, right? Afflict your souls. Does that line make any sense? Seemingly, for most of us, Yom Kippur is about the opposite. It's about afflicting our body. If anything, we're trying to get a soul experience by afflicting our bodies. What the Torah actually says 
is to afflict the souls. That's counterintuitive. We're not afflicting our souls on Yom Kippur. We're afflicting our bodies on Yom Kippur. And by the way, the Torah has plenty of words to use for body or physicality. There's many things that the Torah could have said to afflict your bodies. It didn't need to use the word nefesh. And so therefore, that's question number two. And therefore, we have our two questions. Number one, would it, would it not have been much more logical to begin at the outset of the Parsha with the sentence, and this shall be a statute for you on the 10th day of the seventh month, and then go on to describe the Yom Kippur service. And number two, why does the Torah refer to the other experience of Yom Kippur, or to, I should say, maybe the main experience of Yom Kippur as afflicting our souls rather than afflicting our bodies? Those are our two questions in terms of like the overall beginning of the parsha. Now there's another section that I mentioned before, also in Parsha Zacharimos, that talks about the prohibition to eat blood. So let's just go through those sentences, then we're going to ask two questions, and then we're going to go to our explanation. Torah says, if anyone from the Jewish people, any ger who reside among you partakes of any blood, I will set my face against the person who partakes of blood. I will cut that person off from among its nation. Now, by the way, that is one of the main reasons that people don't like the God concept. It's called reward and punishment, especially the punishment part. I don't like the punishment part. In fact, the subtitle of that book called God Without God specifically talks about the vengeful God, right? That's like the subtitle of that book. That's why people want to divorce God from the equation. But that's kind of like, you know, divorcing reality from truth. So anyways, the point is that the Torah says that Hashem will set his face against the person that eats blood. Why? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have assigned it to you for making atonement for your lives upon the altar, the Mizbeach. It is the blood as life that affects expiation or atonement. Therefore, I say to the Jewish people, no person among you shall partake of blood, nor shall the stranger who resides among you partake of blood. Now, Rashi is really interesting and in that Rashi gives even a little bit more of a kind of descriptive explanation of why this makes sense. Says Rashi, what does it mean for the life of the flesh? of every creature is in the blood. It is that the blood of a creature is what its life depends on. A person, an animal, a human being, or a, an animal depends on their blood in order to live. Right? That's what happens. A person loses blood, they die. It's one of the main ways that people end up dying. Right? So the therefore is that because the life of the animals in the blood, the blood which is the blood of the animal is like the soul of the animal. The soul of the animal should come to atone for the soul of the human being who's bringing the sacrifice. So let a soul, blood of the animal, come and atone for the soul, the person who's bringing the animal as an offering. And so therefore the Torah says that the blood of the animal is meant to be used to be brought, brought as atonement for the soul of a human being. And when a person eats the blood, it's like they're destroying that concept and that person gets cut off. Okay, so all of that is very interesting. And here's our question. It's a pretty harsh language to say that Hashem is going to pay attention, put his face upon this person to cut him off. But everybody agree that's pretty harsh? But it even goes a step further because Rashi actually tells us Hashem is going to stop paying attention to other things and focus on that person. And we have a similar concept where in Parshas Kedoshin, 
it says if a person brings their children through the molech to the molech idol, what does the person do? They take their children and pass them through fire. It's a big question in the commentaries. Does the child get injured? Does the child possibly die? What is actually happening in that service is a big question. But what the Torah says is, again, for the parents who hand over their child to the priest of the Molech idolatry, and they cause that child to go through fire, Hashem will put his face against that person, cut him off. And again, Rashi tells us Hashem is going to stop looking at anything else and pay attention only to this person. So we have really so many questions that could be asked. Let's just ask a basic question. Does that, do any of us think that Hashem cannot multitask? Because if he can't, we're all in big problems, right? Obviously Hashem can pay attention to millions and billions of people and billions upon billions and incalculable, you know, amounts of, of uh, variables and things at the same time, because that's what's happening at every moment. So what in the world does it mean for the Torah to say, oh, I'm going to pay attention to this person. I'm going to look away from everything else, says Rashi. I'm going to pay attention to this. But what does that even mean? How do we begin to process that concept? And why should it be specifically these two things, person who eats blood and the people who bring their children for this particular form of idolatry called Molech? Everybody good with the questions? With me on the questions? Okay. So I'd like to suggest the beginning of our answer with the following uh, philosophic construct. Spirituality and soul are synonymous with blood because number one, blood is where the soul integrates with the body. What does that mean? It means however we want to figure out how it's done, which we can't really, we know that God created a human being that has a specific life force and really even animals also have a specific life force. How does this life force, which is not physical in itself, attach to the physical human being or to the physical animal? The answer is in the blood. That's where it happens. There are many commentaries that say that explicitly. If you look up Sephorno, I think Ramban also talks about it some in various contexts here in these two parashios. You can see more about that concept that Sephorno especially is really fascinating, is how the blood is somehow where the spiritual soul that we call nefesh is attached, okay? That's number one. Number two is that on a more, let's call it practical life application manner to associate spirituality and soul with blood really means that just like a person's physical life is dependent on their blood, a person's real sense of life is dependent on their soul. And so a very, very easy way to think of this is that what a person really lives for is what they're willing to give their blood for. In English, we call that, I give my blood, sweat, and tears to this cause, to this person, to this ideal, right? The whole idea that we invest ourselves completely in something, that we're willing to literally sacrifice blood, sweat, and tears for something is for that thing that we really care about that we're really passionate about. And that's really where we live. We live in the idea of what we really care about. So what we really live for is really where our soul is invested. So just like our blood would be physically invested, so to our soul is, so to speak, invested. 
And so therefore, the life that is a real life for a person is to be connected to that which they really want to be connected to. And the ultimate, ultimate living experience, spiritual experience, the real life, the real soul experience that the person should want is things that they really care about for a long time in an enduring way. And that's really ultimately a relationship with Hashem, as we're going to see, and also the creation of more life, whether it's in children or helping human beings. Those are the two real things that people ought to live for. So very simply, what happens in most people's lives, most people really care about certain things. So a good way to think of this is, you know, one of the famous expressions I've heard in Aventura is that all men who live in Aventura desire to be buried in the mall because their family is definitely gonna be going to visit the mall very regularly. So at least while they go shopping, they should visit their family, right? The, the husband or the father that died. That's really what people talk about. It's a fascinating thing because what they're really saying is my family is really attached to shopping. At least I can be an afterthought when they go shopping. That's what people are really living for. Now, I'm not saying that that's definite or so absolute, but you get the idea. People really live for certain physical things. They really want a connection to certain physical pleasures. And so that's what they begin to live for. Does that resonate? Right? People live for material things. They live for you know, some sort of physical thrill or pleasure. Right? That's what people live for. Yom Kippur is there to challenge your soul as to what it lives for. If your soul, if what you live for is to be comfortable, that everything should be okay, that you have never, you never experience any physical privations of any sort, and then you're okay. Yom Kippur challenges that because for 24 hours, there's no eating and drinking and washing, which is very physically depriving. And that can make a person extremely uncomfortable. Well, how attached are we to those things? Are we not able to think about anything else because we're hungry? We're not able to think about anything else because we're thirsty. We're not able to think about anything else because we're physically uncomfortable and we feel like we need a shower. If that's how we live, then yeah, our soul is going to be very afflicted because that's where our soul lives. That's what it's attached to. That's what we really crave and that's what we seek. So yeah, then Kipper is going to be challenging that soul experience. Now, what we have to remember is that Hashem wants us to experience the physical things. You know, there's a reason that we're supposed to say a hundred blessings a day, a lot of it over food. There's a reason that we're supposed to eat and that even many mitzvahs are connected to eating. And there's a reason, as my friend Joseph Rackham pointed out to me today, there's a reason that Yom Kippur is only one day a year. Hashem is not asking us to live Yom Kippur most of the year and experience the physical the rest of the time. You know, we don't even believe in this thing called 30 days of fasting with breaking your fast every night. We don't even believe in that, right? We're not into the idea that what God wants is for us to suffer physically. But what we are into is the idea that we should remember that 300 and whatever you want to use, lunar calendar or solar calendar, 364 days or 354, three days a year, 
our focus is to be able to experience the physical the right way, which means with an understanding that the physical world is meant to do important things, such as create life, do things that bring spirituality into the physical world, elevate your character, elevate your relationships with other human beings so that it's meaningful, productive, creative. That's what the focus really should be. But one day a year, what we do is we do a deep dive into what our, our deeper soul, so to speak, craves, which is a direct connection with Hashem. And so the affliction of Yom Kippur is to say, listen, are you able to connect to Hashem when Hashem is offering you this opportunity of the closest possibility of connecting to him on Yom Kippur? Or are you going to keep looking at your watch and saying, when am I breaking my fast? When am I breaking my fast? When am I taking a drink? When, I, you know, when am I going to take a shower? If that's what your focus is, you're not going to be able to experience the deeper, more spiritual connection that Hashem is offering on Yom Kippur. But Hashem doesn't want you to do that every day. What Hashem wants you to do every day is to experience the physical world as a means of doing meaningful and also spiritual things through the physical world. And so therefore the Torah does not start with, this is Yom Kippur, because the goal is not Yom Kippur. The goal is to have a spiritual connection with Hashem. And it happens to be that there's only one day a year that we can have the most intense physical experience connection with Hashem possible, which is through the Kohen Gadol's service in the Holy of Holies. We're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end because that applies to all the people, right? The point is that's only going to be one day a year and it's very intense and requires a lot of processes. In fact, the rabbis tell us that a Kohen Gadol needs to separate himself from the rest of the people for seven days in order to prepare for that experience. Just like the children of Aharon needed seven days of practice before becoming Kohanim. So that's a very intense experience. But the goal is to really connect to Hashem. The goal is not even atonement. Atonement and purification is just a precondition of connecting to Hashem. So it's not like this is Yom Kippur, this is your day of atonement so that God doesn't destroy you. No, it's this is your day of really internalizing that your life is supposed to be about connection to Hashem. That's what it's supposed to be. We don't demand every day of the year all the deprivations of Yom Kippur. But we do demand that every day of the year you try to have a meaningful connection with Hashem. This is why when we dive in three times a day, our minds are supposed to be directed to this very place that Aaron is going on Yom Kippur, the Holy of Holies. That's where we're supposed to be focusing our concentration every Shona Esrei of every day of the year. Right? So our focus needs to be there, but we don't have to not eat and not drink. That's not the, the goal. The goal is to live as a physical human being in this world. And that's why the Torah doesn't start off with, this is Yom Kippur, and this is how you do the Yom Kippur service. Instead, the Torah says, listen, none of an Avi who died because they ran for this connection to Hashem when they weren't ready, this is how you connect to Hashem the right way. Do all of these services, by the way, that day is Yom Kippur. It's a completely different focus. And the sole affliction of Yom Kippur is to recalibrate our soul to really craving connection to Hashem while we are physical human beings, instead of really create, crave physical connection so that, you know, we can experience the physical things. And by the way, yeah, there's a part of us that's spiritual. Let's call that spirituality without God, because that would be the opposite extreme. And so therefore, the Torah sets it up in a very incredible way in Parshas Acharimos by starting with this is how Aharon should come to the Oba. 
Now, because of the fact that the blood is the soul, both in the human being and the animal, the way that the Torah provides that we can gain some sort of atonement, as Rashi explains, is that a soul of the animal comes to atone for the soul of the human being. We're not here today to discuss more about that. I know it's a very hard concept in the Torah, the whole concept of sacrifice and the sacrifice really important. Let's, I don't wanna go there. All I just wanna for today is just accept that that's true. And as such, what the Torah is really saying is that Hashem's main interest in the world is in the fact that human beings should have this meaningful connection to him. That's Hashem's main interest. And one of the ways that Hashem designed that human beings can ensure having this close bonded relationship with him is through the atonement provided by the blood of the animals. That's one of the main things. We know that's what the book of Vayikra is all about. And so what Hashem really pays attention to is to what extent is a person seeking a close relationship with him. A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that when Shul, the avening, is called for a certain time, Hashem is there on time. And when the minion isn't there, Hashem is not happy because Hashem is going to literally be at our service, so to speak, so that we can connect to him if we decide as a group that we're connecting with him. That's called the time for davening. And if we're there, I'm sorry, if Hashem is there and we're not there, Hashem really pays attention to that. That's the point. And so therefore, Hashem will really get involved in the world. And you're gonna see how incredible practical this is in a moment when human beings are either really connecting to Hashem, then Hashem is very responsive, and Hashem will give tremendous blessing and all good things, which is what we daven for. Or God forbid, if it's the opposite, Hashem can bring all sorts of consequences because people are not paying attention to their main living in the world, which is a connection to him, whether it be COVID or other types of messages from Hashem. That's one area. We're going to explain this even a little bit deeper. So just bear with me. We'll be done in about uh, 10, 12 minutes. The second area that Hashem really pays attention to is how human beings are using their God-given creativity to create more human beings and more creativity. That's called molech. Hashem is very interested that human beings should get married and have children. First thing he tells first man. First thing he tells Noah when he comes out of the Teva, same thing, have children, right? Hashem is very interested in the production of more human beings. Hashem really cares about human beings. That's a major message of Yom Kippur as well. And Hashem even cares not only about the Jews, but also about the non-Jews, which is what he tells Yonah on Yom Kippur. Do you care about the Kikayon and I shouldn't care about the whole city of Nineveh? That's what Hashem tells Yonah on what we read on Yom Kippur. Right? Hashem is very interested in the human being experience in the world and that the human beings are connecting to Hashem and not God forbid the opposite. So when parents take their children and completely pervert the whole idea of having children to express the fact that there is a God and that life begets life and that human beings are the most creative you know, beings in the world and this is all part of producing more good, which is what Hashem wants in the world, and instead use that in an idolatrous service, Hashem really pays attention to that. So what does it mean for Hashem to turn away from all other things and instead turn towards these people? I'm going to tell you an answer that you all probably know and probably have all experienced firsthand. Because the rabbis tell us, you know, what Hashem does ever since the creation of the world, how Hashem spends his time is in making shidduchim. That's what the rabbis say. 
Since Hashem created the world, what does Hashem do? He spends time creating Shaduchim. You know what Shaduchim is all about? Sure, it's about children. It's not only about children. It's about human beings learning to meaning, meaningfully bond with each other and do more good things in the world. But you need other human beings. Other human beings need other human beings to synergize and do more good things in the world. At the most and intimate and highest level, of course, that's called, that's called marriage. But there are other things, like the rabbis in the Talmud tell us, give me a study partner or give me death. Literally a statement by one of the rabbis. A study partner or death. I have to meaningfully interact with another human being to properly grow and achieve as a human being in this world in order for me to do the creative spiritual things that Hashem wants a human being to do in the world. So what does it mean for Hashem to pay attention to these things and not to other things? It's very simple. Where do you see the hashgacha of Hashem the most? The answer is in Shaduchim. Any shever brachos or, you know, speech, you know, that you hear at a wedding is all about how somehow Hashem brought these people together. Right? It was like this miraculous thing nobody would have ever expected, and somehow these people are brought together. That's what it means for Hashem to be involved. Even though people have free choice, we know that Hashem intervenes, right? We know that there's something called Hashkacha and Hashkacha Pratis. Where do we see Hashem get involved? Hashem gets involved in the positive, in Shaduchim, and in the forging of Shalom between people. As we say, what Hashem really is trying to foster in the world that's positive is harmony and getting together. And he gives us endless possibilities and signals that we really should be getting along with our fellow man and our fellow Jews, especially despite the fact that it seems that that's a problem in the world, right? That is what Hashem is interested in. That means that all interventions that Hashem does really starts from what will create Shalom, what will create Shaduchim. That's the starting point of Hashem's interventions. That's where he pays real attention. Everything else is just an offshoot of that. Unfortunately, for the negative, if we have people that are perverting the idea of having a relationship with him, God forbid, writing a book called God Without God, God forbid, eating blood, or God forbid, taking their own children and using them in an idolatrous practice called Moloch, Hashem really pays attention to that also. Hashem wants to wipe that out of the world. And today, when more people than ever have more physical resources than ever, will tell you that one of the main reasons that they don't want to have children is because the money it costs, the money that it costs to spend on a spouse, the money that it costs to spend on children. What does that tell you about why these people are living? They're living selfishly to experience their physical pleasure world. I had a young couple in my office and I was asking them, so, you know, why, why get married? You know, you have a good relationship. Why, why should you get married? And the man is like sitting there nodding his head. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the woman is looking at the man with daggers in her eyes like, what are you talking about? We talked about this. We're getting married. And that was actually a source of a, a big machlokas between them for the next 24 hours. Um, their parents thought I had instigated some kind of major nuclear war. I really just asked them that question. And then I said to the man, like, okay, but why not get married? Okay, so you're, she obviously really wants to get married. Why not get married? She says, you know, Rabbi, if I want to go out to dinner on a Tuesday night, I don't want to think about who's babysitting the kids. I'm going to go to dinner with my wife. I don't want to think about babysitting. I can't go out, can't travel, can't do anything with these kids. 
And that's one of the best reasons that people will give. Another great reason that people like to say is it's such a bad world. How can I bring children into that? Right? These are the classic things that people are saying. And I have news for us. That's the same thing as molech and being attached to physical life rather than meaningful life. It's the same exact thing. And Hashem is paying attention. And Hashem is going to do everything, hopefully, that he can to help this couple get married. By the way, they did get married and have a child, subject of a different time. Still took them a while, but they did eventually get married and recently had a child. And then also, we know that Hashem will pay attention to the good things, to the shalom. You know, when we do get married or we do learn to get along with one, with one another. So one of the things we really have to realize about Yom Kippur is that the reason that we have to ask for forgiveness for our fellow man is not only because, you know what, Hashem can't give forgiveness for that. You know, that's what people think. Hashem can't give forgiveness for what you did wrong to your friend. You have to ask your friend forgiveness for that. Yeah, that's true. But there's a much deeper reason. If you're not interacting well with your fellow man, you are A, not ready for any meaningful relationship with God, and you're not doing even what God cares about, because what God really wants is for human beings to work together, to synergize together, to have shalom together. God wants human beings to live in this world, to function as physical human beings, and accomplish everything good that they can accomplish together, which is probably the reason that the Yom Kippur service is not a private service. There is not one private confession that we are supposed to, by design, say in the Yom Kippur liturgy. It's all we, Hashem knew, but God knew. Every single one is we. And in the Torah, everybody's standing around watching the Kohen Gadol do the service that's on behalf of all of them. Now, can you imagine that the Jewish people at the time of the Kohen Gadol felt like they did today about the prime minister in Israel? What's that really gonna look like on the streets of Yerushalayim? As the coin, everybody's going to be protesting. He shouldn't be the Kohen Gadol. He should be the Kohen Gadol. He shouldn't be the Kohen Gadol. Meantime, all God cares about is that the people are figuring out how to work it out and have a unified experience. That's all God cares about. So that's what we have to care about. And so a tremendous formula for connection with God is actually working on our interpersonal relationships. That's a formula of how to connect to God, not only how to connect to each other. And that's why the Torah sets it up with one person called the Kohen Gadol who does one collective service. You know, it's a series of things, but one collective service for everyone because we're all in this together. We all have to bond together. And that's how we ultimately will connect to Hashem to best, the best. And that's what we really have to live for. We have to live for meaningful, powerful, bonded, synergistic, selfless relationships with one another as opposed to selfish, cliquish, you know, just me and one or two people in my world and I'm divorced from everyone else in the world. That's the opposite of a true, meaningful and genuine connection with Hashem, which is probably also why, and with this we'll conclude and take any questions and comments, Parshas Tazriya Mitzora is the prelude to Parshas Acharimos Kedoshim. Because when we understand that speaking Lashon Hara, cutting ourselves off from other people and from shalom with other people literally leads to a life of isolation and disease and that we need to be healed from that. 
We need to get over that way of thinking about life and our fellow human beings. It's only then that we can really even begin to overcome the sins of Nadav and Abihu and approach God the correct way, which is as one unified people, in order for us to connect to him, we need to properly get along with each other. Questions or comments? Thanks, Kiva. See you next week. Thank you, Rhoda. <laughs> Forward to it. Summer or winter, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Question in the room. Um, it's not such a crazy thing to say that, you know, people don't want to have kids because it's a, Okay, so Miriam is uh, bringing up her namesake, Miriam, because um, Rebison Bagelman, whose name is Miriam, is pointing out that, you know, it's a concern that has happened in history where people are worried about the fate of the next generation and if they should produce more children, as in, for example, Amram had decided to divorce his wife in Egypt wife Zipporah, and not to have children because of the fact of how the Egyptians were treating the Jewish children, throwing them into the Nile River, Jewish boys at least. And so therefore it seems that that's not such a crazy thing. So um, tongue in cheek answering, but Miriam was right because Miriam said that her father Amram was making a mistake because Pyro is only killing the males and Amram would be killing the males and the females. But more to the point, I think even than that is you know, you could say it's a normal fear of a person. It's the right thing. And B, especially in today's world, where can have more than children have ever had before, in fact, often have too much, um, and say, well, it's a bad world. The truth is that it's a much better world from in many regards, certainly in the physical regards, there was in most of history. With all the bad things that are happening in the world, even now, it's still a tremendously better place than much of civilization ever was, ever, right? The, we had 100-year wars before. I mean, we had tons of things before. And I think it's a, it's a cop-out. I really think it's a cop-out. And it's also not their business. That's another story that we have in the Talmud that, you know, God doesn't ever say, in other words, it never says in the Torah, well, before you get married, take the temperature of society and the atmosphere in the world and then decide if you should get married. That's not the Torah's approach at all. Torah's approach is definitely get married and figure it out. Definitely have children and figure it out. So. Any other questions or comments? Uh, oh yeah, okay, so we'll, yeah, well, yes. Hi, sorry. sorry. Uh, yeah, how are you? So I have one question. Um, so how, like in today's day and age, when you hear, when, I mean, I'm hearing stories of families of 10 kids um, where the marriage is falling apart and um, it's, is there a possibility? Well, it seems as if even the most Torah steeped communities are not necessarily immune from falling into that mindset um how which mindset there in, into the mindset of being clickish into the mindset of having the kids as a possession versus having the kids to further Hashem's will um how could 
where, what safeguards can there be when that mindset seems to be infiltrating even the most um, Torah steep tomes? So I think the mindset to which you're referring is the one that parents have a sometimes selfish attitude towards children. I think you call it a possession mentality, even in the Jewish religious world. Um, and yes, that is a very, very sad thing that has happened, uh, even to what we would consider to be Torah homes. But that really is built on, is a person seeking connection with Hashem or spirituality, or let's even use the word religion, in order for their own uh, either self-aggrandizement or comfort, rather than for the purposes that it's really designed, which is to elevate a person to being more selfless as opposed to selfish, to take responsibility for things even beyond themselves, or actually instead to just think only about themselves, more narcissistic tendencies. And that is a, that is a, a common problem. So your question then is, so what is the safeguard? So the safeguard has a lot to do with checking ourselves and making sure that when we choose to do things, even good things, that we have selfless motivations in mind. Um, a question that I posed on my supper table last night, together with the family and my children, my wife, that actually they were also asking is how does a person know if they're interested in information about other people, if it's for a good reason or not a good reason? Right? Let's say you're curious about information about other people. Why are we curious about that information? And is it for good purposes or not good purposes? So those types of self-examination questions, I think we need to take very seriously. And the way that we behave is gonna directly impact uh, what our children learn. So we really have to check ourselves, you know, and why we're doing what we're doing, just like Nadav and Avihu, as we spoke about, really needed to check their motivations and why they were bringing a fire that wasn't commanded. Um, sure, Rabbi Nakhtiman. Are you there, Rabbi Nakhtiman? You have your hand raised. Yeah, yeah, I just want to make two quick points. I still remember that I was, how old was I? That's about, what, 1970? Yeah, 1970. So how many years ago was that? 52 years ago? So I still remember being whatever, being at a Shabbos table in St. Louis with a non-from guy saying, how could you bring children into the world? It's so terrible out there. I just, <laughs> that's just so such a non-Jewish concept. Uh, but I just want to bring out a point. I'm not sure how you'll utilize this, but I still remember a, a very moving story of the Holocaust when somebody was leaving, if it was Auschwitz or something that had effect, he looked back with the following, I don't know what kind of, how you could, uh, you know, express these feelings, they looked back and he said, how am I going to deal with the world where Yom Kippur is not every day? Wow. Wow. Can I, can, I, can I handle the world? Am I going to be able to handle a world where it's, you know, it's not Yom Kippur every day? Yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful sentiment because what it's really saying is that it's so easy for us to get sucked back into a world of indulgence and a world of selfishness. And when it's forced upon us, it's easier. Um, and, you know, what he's saying is he recognized that as a human being, that was actually better for him, even mm -hmm. though it was a world of, as we know, an indescribable H-E-L-L. -L. 
So that's a very interesting point. Uh, we have one more question in the room. Okay, you mentioned that um, like when we're, when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, so Hashem responds to that. And when, when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, like Hashem, let's say, brings like Corona and things like that, right? Yeah. So you're, you're, it's more like on a communal level, right? Because in other words, bad things happen to people and they seemingly are great people. Yeah, so, you know, yes, we're speaking in general terms. We can't sit here and say that we can really explain everything that happens in the world with these concepts, right? Because obviously we don't understand why bad things happen to good people, etc. But what we can do is speak in generalities like the Torah speaks about, which is that these are key issues for Hashem. The key issues of, is a human being seeking the correct spiritual connection with Hashem as represented by the prohibition of not eating blood? And is a person, you know, living their life uh, in the right way in terms of building family and the importance of that and why they're doing that as represented by the prohibition of Mullah. So all we're doing is say that in general terms, when the Torah tells us that these are the people that have pays attention to, we can say that in general terms, that is where Hashem gets more involved. But we're, there's no way that we're going to be able to describe or explain every single thing that happens in the world based on you know, even those very important kinds. Yeah, so like, well, let's say something like Corona happens and like a thing could happen because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. When communal things happen, we absolutely have to take a, uh, a, I mean, even when they happen privately, but we definitely have to look from a community-wide standpoint while we're failing as a group. Yes, when, when, when larger scale things happen, no question about it. Um, my father is just giving class, so um, please everybody make sure to zoom on over in a few minutes to the other Zoom link. Pleasure to be with all of you today. Hope we got to everyone. See you all next week.